It is indeed a joy to be able to come again here and share God's word with you this week. Uh, many of you were here last week and you came back, so I'm excited about that. Uh, we're going to be returning to the Sermon on the Mount. I had talked with the pastor and at first I wasn't going to sort of tread where he had been walking, but uh, he said that was okay and to get back into that. And so we're going to pick up with the next section, which is in Matthew chapter 5 beginning in verse 33. I appreciate the uh, choir music this morning. I don't know who picked out the song, uh, but thank you, whoever that was. And uh, because it's talking about God promised, and we're looking this morning at the idea of oaths, oaths that we make and oaths that God has made. And so we're, uh, it's, it's a good start for us to think about the promises that God has made and what that means in our life. Now, just a, just a uh, note this morning in beginning. Uh, when I use the word swear today, <laughs> it's not a reference to profanity. It's not a reference to cursing. Some of you may think of it in that sort of way, but, but the idea is making a promise or making an oath. So let's read the passage. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's on page 859. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 33. It says, Again you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful again that you have given to us your word we know that it is true because you're a God of truth. And we pray, Lord, that you will guide us to understand it this morning, that your Holy Spirit might also apply it to our hearts and lives this day. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You will notice that at the beginning of this section, as in many of the sections here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you have heard. And he usually makes some reference to what they as Jewish people would know from the Old Testament. Something that they have known as far as the, the laws that God has given as to how they should live and how it affects these various topics that he has been talking about. And so it is here he says that. And there are two things that he kind of references there. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, so there's one that is expressed in the negative. You shall not do this. And we can find various references to that, but one is Leviticus 19, chapter 12, which speaks to that. Not swearing falsely, that's something that is a guide for those people. But secondly, he says something really in the positive. Perform your oaths unto the Lord. Perform your oaths to the Lord. It's according to which translation. But there's an idea there that when you make an oath that you do it, you fulfill it as unto the Lord regardless of how the oath is made. If I make a, 
a promise, because that's kind of what an oath is. If I make a promise to somebody, I should fulfill that to them as though I was fulfilling it to the Lord himself. And that's what Jesus says. These are some things that you have heard. These are some things that you know in regard to oaths. There are some other Old Testament verses related to making an oath that I just want to comment on real quickly. One is in Numbers chapter 30, verse 2. It says, if a man makes a vow, he shall not break his word. Deuteronomy 19, verses 16 through 21, takes the same passage that is in Whenever Jordan gets back to the Sermon on the Mount, in the next verse here in 38, where it says, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, it is using that verse in relation to the idea that if somebody swears falsely, in other words, if they, especially if they go to court and they are called to testify in an event and they start their testimony and they say, well, this is what happened or this is who did it, and it contradicts what somebody else has said, the court would call both of those people in, determine who is the truthful witness. And the one who has told the falseness about it, told the falsehood, is to receive the punishment that would have fallen upon the person that they were trying to make look guilty. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That's in Deuteronomy. Ecclesiastes 5.2 says, Do not be rash with your mouth. Well, that's a good one to think about, isn't it? How quickly, how quickly we can speak. <laughs> I had an incident this week I won't get into, but boy, I was tell you, <laughs> I wanted to speak faster than I should have. So I can, we can say it that way. <laughs> Ecclesiastes 5.4 says, When you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it. So we can see from these verses, they all kind of carry the same idea that, that oaths are important and that it's not something that we should make lightly or that we should take lightly because they're very serious to God and they should be very serious to us. So what's the purpose of an oath? You might think of it in different kind of ways, especially I think of in court. You raise your right hand and you used to at least place your hand on the Bible. You say, I promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. That was the, the oath that was taken as a witness. A dictionary definition is that an oath is a solemn, usually formal calling upon God to witness to the truth of what one says or to witness that one sincerely intends to do what he says. So it's a bringing God into the situation as a witness to the fact that what we either intend to say next or what we intend to do sometime in the future or for bearing witness about something that happened in the past, it's all that we're saying that God would be a witness that we are telling the truth or we did the truth. I want to draw our attention to two examples of oaths. These are both during the uh, trial of Jesus. If you want to turn to Matthew chapter 26, they're both found there. <coughs> In 
Matthew chapter 26, and that's a very long chapter, so turn over toward the, closer to the end. First verse we want to look at is verse 63. This is in the middle of Jesus' trial, shortly before his crucifixion. And we know that they have called him, you know, they brought him in, they, are, they have had false witnesses. I wonder if those false witnesses were crucified. I don't know. But they've had false witnesses testify regarding Christ and trying to find some sort of charge. And they're getting pretty frustrated with the whole thing, I think. And, and, and so the, the high priest... As he keeps asking Jesus questions, we're told there in verse 63, but Jesus kept silent. So he's not said anything. And the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And in response to that, Jesus spoke and he said to him, It is as you said... And he goes on to say some other things there as well. If you turn just a few verses further down, well, let's back up just a second. When the high priest said, I, I put you under an oath, the idea is that now Jesus is legally obligated to answer the question. So up to that point, he has been silent, when the high priest puts him under the oath, he then responds. He responds with the truth, but we know that the high priest did not want to accept that, and he accused Jesus of blasphemy, and they continue with their trial. But he had called for God to be a witness regarding what is fixing to be said, and Jesus answered truthfully. Now, turn to Matthew 26, 72. This is kind of what's going on outside, and it involves Peter. We know this story too. Peter denied Christ three times in the sequence of events that unfolds about this same time. But in verse 72 it says, but again, so this is the second time that he is denying Christ, but he, again he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. So when he was giving an oath, he told a falsehood. So he told an he, he did it in an oath because he the idea is I want to I want you to think that what I'm about to say is true. But the truth was he didn't have any intention of telling the truth after he made that oath. He just wanted to deceive those who would hear it. He wanted to deceive that servant girl who was there into thinking that he didn't really know Christ. And so you see the differences there between those two. One, when Jesus was put under an oath, he told the truth. Peter, when he made an oath, his intention was not really to go through with it, but to tell a falsehood, hoping that it would be believed because of the authority of the oath that he had taken. So back to chapter 5. Part of what Jesus is addressing is the idea that oaths 
should be taken seriously. They should be taken seriously. Now I wonder sometimes, what do we think of oaths in our day? What do you think regarding promises that people make? What do people think regarding promises you make or I make? Is it something that we take as seriously as we ought? So Jesus is addressing here in this passage of Scripture the fact that even though oaths should be taken seriously, they had really become the opposite of that in their day. They made oaths in a very frivolous manner. And they had just worked into their everyday life. And that was just, just, just how it was. Just how it was. I had a more than an acquaintance, somebody I knew from years back. And it would always tickle me because he had a uh, little saying that he would interject into a conversation. And you could be talking with him about something and you'd be talking along, talking along, talking along for several minutes. And then he would say, can I just be honest with you? And, and I would respond with one of these things. Please, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or I thought you were already, <laughs> but, but good to know, you know, that type of thing. That was just a little phrase, and he didn't really mean that he had been not telling the truth before, but you can see how just the simple effect that that can have on something. Do we take our, our word and our oaths in the kind of manner that they ought? Because these people did not. These people did not. Is it necessary for you to say, I really, really, really promise in order for your children to believe you? Or for somebody else as far as that goes? Or can you just say what you want to say? In the Ten Commandments, if we go back to Exodus chapter 20, I know we're jumping all over the place this morning, but I'm going to try to tie all these things together. In the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, God says this, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So what is taking God's name in vain? Oftentimes, again, we think of that sort of as a, connected with cursing. But how do we do that? How do we take God's name in vain in, in relation to this passage this morning? Well, to take God's name in vain, to use it in a, in a vain way, means that you use his name in a way that brings disrespect upon his character. A person uses God's name in an oath and he did not fulfill it, the idea is kind of that he doesn't really believe God exists because he gave no more thought to God after he, you know, after he had made the vow. It just became as nothing. It became as though God is nothing. And that's using God's name in vain. Now, in Jesus's 
day and in this experience as he is teaching here, the people, I won't say every individual, but, but within that audience that he had there, they would argue, I'm really not using God's name in my oath. But as we saw a while ago, they were, they were swearing by things that are sacred only because of who God is. So in reality, they were bringing God into their oath. They were, as because Jesus said, don't, don't swear by heaven. Don't swear by the earth. Don't swear by Jerusalem. Don't swear even by the, the hair on your head. And I was thinking a little bit, just sitting there a while ago before I came up here to share this with you, that who's, who's concerned about what, what color your hair is? <laughs> Some of us just want it to, to hang in there, you know? But, but we don't have control over that. I have no control over that. It just, it just is what it is, you know? And I don't have the authority really to change that in any kind of way. So again, four examples that Jesus gives and how they would swear. They would swear by heaven. What is heaven? Heaven's God's throne. He's the ultimate authority. And so as they swear and they say, well, I'm not using God's name, I'm just swearing by heaven. They are swearing by the, they're making an oath by the ultimate authority that there is. If they swore by earth, Jesus says it's God's footstool. It was under his, earth is under his authority. He created it. It's part of his, it's part of his creation as is everything. But it's under his authority as well. Swearing by Jerusalem. You know, I... I think we wouldn't, we wouldn't even know of Jerusalem or care about it if it wasn't for the Bible. Because that's a holy city to God. That's a city that he keeps his eye on. That's a city that's critical in all of, all of history. And it's a sacred place because of who God is and because his plan of history is such. It's called the city of the great king. And again, swearing by the hair on our head, we're a part of God's creation. God again has authority there. And again, we do not have the authority or the ability or power to change those things. So Jesus is saying here to them, think about what you're doing when you, when you speak of Swearing. If we turn back to uh, Matthew chapter 23, here's another example where he is talking to them about their, their oaths and such that they make. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 16, he says, Woe to you. I'm sorry, I'll wait just a second. I hear pages rattling and I want you to get there before I... <laughs> I thought you were going to have to listen quickly this morning because of things, you know, but I don't want to be that rushed. Okay, Matthew chapter 23, verse 16. He says, Woe to you, blind guides, who say, Whoever swears by the temple, it is nothing. 
But whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blinds, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gift that is on it, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, for, who, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and by all things on it. He who swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. See, they had the idea that if they didn't literally use God's name, they weren't under obligation to the oath. Now, when we were kids, we, we did something. <clears throat> We'd stick our hand behind our back or in our pocket so somebody couldn't see it. And as you know, we had those fingers crossed, wouldn't we? And somehow we would act like if our fingers were crossed and we said something, it, it didn't count. And we would do something and they'd get mad or whatever and we'd say, ah, 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 fingers crossed, fingers crossed. You know, doesn't count. Can't get mad. Don't get upset. Blah, blah, blah. I don't have to do it. Whatever it is. Well, this is almost what they were doing. They would break it down and they would say, now, hmm, we need to, we need to take an oath, but, um, I want to do it in such a way that ultimately I'm not obligated. And see, God said, as we read in Exodus, when you use my name in vain, judgment. I will not hold a person guiltless who does that. So their hope was that if they made an oath, and just for their own kind of security, because they didn't want to come under God's judgment, they would omit God's name. But Jesus is telling them here, really, and in that other passage, that the things that you swear on are all connected to God. And it's all a vain use, really, of His name. And we see again, really, that there are whole intention was to give the impression that they're going to do something knowing that they really have no intention of doing it at all. Hoping that it'll be forgotten. Hoping that it won't matter or whatever, whatever it is they really won't have to do the oath. So back to chapter 5 again. Jesus goes on to say <clears throat> really don't swear at all. Verse 34, but I say to you, do not swear at all. And then in 37, he says, but let your yes be yes and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. So how do we get along in life without taking an oath? Life in God's kingdom, because God is a God of truth, 
is governed by that. And so, there doesn't need to be an oath because there's no reason to doubt the truthfulness of what is being said. So, as a Christian, I become a part of the kingdom. Being a part of the kingdom means that the Holy Spirit is to guide and direct me to being in control of my life. And if he's in control, then I in turn will be truthful and I don't have any need to swear an oath. So you and I as Christians ought to be exhibiting truth in every occasion. So there's no need to be bringing God's name into it. There's no need to say, now I need some other sort of authentication that what I'm saying is true because we're just truthful people. Now, I recognize that that's not the experience all the way across the board in our world. But when we, when we think about some of the gifts that God has given, one of the most, I think, I mean, there's numerous ones we could list, and I'm not trying to put them all in a hierarchy, but certainly one of the great gifts that God has given is the gift of language. The ability through that to communicate with one another. Now, there are some of you in this room who speak languages other than English. I don't. It would be difficult for me to communicate with you if I had to use some other, some other language because those that I've studied have kind of fallen by the wayside through the years and that sort of thing. But there are, other, are people who know that other language and you can communicate with them. So we recognize that communication is an incredible thing. I've had discussions with, with uh, there's a guy who comes, name comes to mind, and he always, he always watches these... Uh, nature shows, and that's fine. But he would come into our office and we'd get into a conversation, he would talk about, you know what, such and such, they're just one of the smartest animals you could ever imagine. Now I'm very fascinated and aggravated with squirrels. <laughs> and by your laughter I know that you know what I'm talking about, you know. Is there such thing as a bird feeder that they can't get into? Uh, my wife and I were looking out of our kitchen window just a few weeks ago. We have some bird feeders hanging from the overhang of our house. And a squirrel was literally climbing up the side of our house by gripping the edge of the trim that was about a half inch wide around the door and going vertical and he'd look and he'd look and he'd climb and he'd look and he'd get in position and he would leap off over onto the bird feeder that's just hanging there. Well, we said... I can solve that. I'm going to move the bird feeder. When he jumps next time, he won't be able to reach it, and we haven't had any more problem with that. And I know that, that squirrels evidently communicate because I hear them chattering at one another. But you know what? A, a squirrel has never written a book talking about the history of squirrels. You know? They just they can't do that. That's not what God has you know, put within them to do. But he has done that within us. 
we have we have the ability to communicate in a way that is unique among God's creation. Writing of history, having God's word because people wrote. It's an incredible thing. But you know what? <clears throat> Something happened a long time ago. While Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, this snake came about one day, a serpent, and he talked to Eve a little bit and, and convinced Eve that, that she ought to doubt what God had said. He wanted to just put within her heart and mind just a little bit, a little bit of doubt as related to the truthfulness of what God had said. Now in God's kingdom, there'd never been a lie. There was only truth. But this enemy of God now and this enemy of ours has worked in order to instill a bit of doubt on the, in the heart of man related to the faithfulness of God. By the way, he's called the father of lies for, for a reason. And, he's, and he, through that process, got man to now use what was an incredible gift for good to now potentially use it for evil. Because now, he'll lie. He'll lie. Children may learn to laugh when they're, before they can say mom and daddy, but they don't have to learn too much before they'll begin to tell you something that's false. <laughs> you know? All you got to do say is, you're in trouble, and I didn't do it. <laughs> you know? He hit me first. I didn't, whatever, you know, it starts. And they will, that, because that's there in their nature. And because that is now part of our nature, because of sin, man has difficulty telling the truth and he has difficulty believing others and believing God. So Jesus wants us to be very careful about how we use our words. choir sang a while ago and they started off about he promised. Those are the words that, that song began with, he promised. And we think about God, God is a God of truth. He is truth, the scripture teaches us. By his very, by the, just the very nature of who he is, he cannot lie. He cannot lie. He has no capacity for it. So if God made a, in one sense, let's say it this way, he doesn't even have to make a promise because <laughs> there's no falsehood in him. Everything he says is true. But if he makes a promise, he not only will keep it, but he must keep it because he can't lie. Because it's 
consistent only with his nature to fulfill the promise that he has made. So I want you to turn to one more passage of Scripture. It's over in the book of Hebrews. And here is, this passage is talking, Hebrews chapter 6. Here it is talking about the fact that God made a promise. Okay? Now again, we've seen that's enough. He really didn't have to even make a promise. But if he made a promise, that's enough. But here in this passage of Scripture, we see not only did he make a promise, but he took an oath. He swore an oath by his name. Okay? Now, the oath didn't make the promise more secure. The promise wasn't questionable until God swore an oath. God could say it and it would be good. He could promise and it would be good. He, and he swears an oath. And everything, all it does is just emphasize that what God says, he means. And now let's read this passage in Hebrews chapter 6. I want to begin with verse 16. He says, For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. So if there's something they're disputing about and somebody swears an oath and that's supposed to be the truth, that puts an end to it. Okay? Thus, God determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath. That by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, in which enters the presence behind the veil. And it goes on to speak of Jesus in this. Two immutable is unchangeable. There's two things that are unchangeable that God uses here. His promise and His oath to confirm so strongly to us that He means what He says and that He will do what He says. So as we look through, if you, you know, in the days and weeks ahead as you're reading the Scripture and you think about, God says, I, I, I promise this. Or even just that I said this. We can have confidence that He will do it. He will bring it to pass because it is just right in line with His character to do what He says because He cannot lie. So as we close, let's recap two or three things. One is we should have a very high regard for the name of God and take seriously anything that would indicate that we're using it in a vain way. That casts some kind of a bad reflection upon the character of God because of what we say and do. We should recognize that God is involved in everything we do so we don't need to enhance it with an oath. We should recognize that because God is truth that we can trust Him. And because we are following Him, we should be people of truth. Let's pray together.
Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that you're truth. And when you say things to us, it's true. When you say you will do something, you absolutely mean it. Some of those things are good, Lord, that we look forward to with excitement and joy. And some of those are warnings to us that if we disobey, that there are consequences that you will bring as well. But Father, help us this morning especially to think about how we represent you and the things that we say in our life and how we might bring you into a situation that, that, that doesn't represent you properly. We want you to be glorified in our living. We want you to be honored with what we say. Speak to our hearts regarding that this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.